Dee, August Falcher, Arash to the Crazy House Prizes podcast with me, Kieran Mulqueen, where we explore the madness of the Irish housing market and try to make sense of it all. On today's episode, we have Sean Keyes of The Currency. He is a leading expert on the housing market and he joins us to discuss his predictions for where house prices are going to go in 2023, some of his solutions to trying to make housing more affordable. And I will give you a little spoiler alert. He predicts a massive drop in house prices. So get ready to dive into the nitty gritty of the Irish housing market as we explore the factors that are driving prices up. Plus, stick around to hear my own thoughts on the recent myhome.ie report about house prices, where I think they're going to go. This is all coming up on this episode of the Crazy House Prices podcast. I'm going to pause the podcast for a second because I want to talk to you about a company called Financial Planning Matters. Their website is fpms.ie. This is a company that I know very well and the team behind it are fantastic. It's a small Irish company that believes that financial planning should be accessible, easy to understand and affordable for everyone. That's why they offer personalized financial advice that's tailored to your unique needs and goals. Their team of expert financial planners will look at your current financial situation and develop a personalized strategy to give you a roadmap to achieve your financial goals. It's not just about setting up a pension or investing your money. They'll consider all aspects of your finances to help you get to where you want to be. So that could be saving for your deposit. It could be knowing where to invest your children's allowance. It could be maybe you have loads of money and you want to know what to do with it. So their customer service is incredible. I've been using them for over a year now and I cannot recommend them enough. So check out FPMS. Now, back to the podcast. Now, today on the podcast, I have Sean Keyes of The Currency, who has very kindly agreed to come on and have a chat with us about house prices and about maybe potential solutions to the housing crisis. So you're very welcome, Sean. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Um, I suppose if you want to kind of tell people a little bit about you uh your interest in housing um kind of like you know around the pub talk that that you would if someone asked you what do you do that you could tell them in uh in under a minute <laughs> uh, i i'm probably one of the least qualified on paper people to talk about housing i'm basically just a punter uh i i uh you know my, my background is i i you know I'm, I'm studied economics i suppose and i did some more economics after university so that's kind of uh the starting point and how i the way i trying to tend to interpret and see these things um but then like in my life then i just went off and was working in financial journalism and writing uh working kind of focused on investment and, and companies and things like that um but uh yeah you know my first love has always been you know policy and and also cities and what makes cities work well um so you know moved back to Ireland five years ago and it's all about housing ever since and that's kind of been a big kind of interest and focus of mine uh so i just spout off on it on twitter and uh, get into arguments and stuff so that's my main qualification yeah well look you're far more qualified than i am and uh <laughs> all i do is talk about housing so i think it's one of those things like as a nation where we've always been obsessed with with property and 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 home ownership i guess and that's maybe a hangover from uh a, a fair few centuries of not being able to own mm-hmm. our own home so um i think the, the entire nation are kind of gripped by house prices and that's why it's such a you know popular topic i suppose um but i guess the first kind of question i would have is where do you see house prices going in 2023 because that is uh, by far the most common question I am asked and my answer is always the same I have no idea Um, Mm -hmm. but I think you know people don't like that answer and they do always want a little guess or or, or a small prediction and uh, I think I kind of predicted during 
the start of kind of the COVID thing, I was like, oh, well, like, I mean, we're all waiting on house prices to come down a little bit. So surely this will be it. And uh, I couldn't have been more wrong. So I'm always very skeptical about, you know, going, getting too into one side or the other or where things are going to go. But I guess my prediction would be that they may go up a little bit next year uh, or this year, 2023, because there's literally nothing available to buy. So that would be, that would be my guess. But uh, what are your thoughts on it? Okay, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to give the people what they want and I'm going to give a specific prediction right and my yep. prediction is that house prices are going to fall by 14% and the reason I got I get the where I get that number is so the ESRI did some research on this and they have a kind of um they use sort of a, a workhorse model which is like you know a very commonly used model for estimating house prices uh, which is used all over the world and it's got like four inputs and base so they they've been using this model for a long time to track house prices in Ireland and it's it's got a pretty good track record it's kind of it stays reasonably close to actual market prices that you see that you people actually you know that you actually observe so anyway according to that model house prices in Ireland are currently 7% overvalued and then in addition to that we all know interest rates are are changing and one of the big one of the big inputs into that model one of the four inputs are interest rates and if you input the the kind of forecast interest rate for next year into that model you get a, a further 7% reduction in house prices so if you take the model's basic assumption that 7% overvalued and then you add in an extra 7% for like where the forecast of interest rates are headed you get you get to 14% overvalued so yeah that's i mean look it's 14% isn't is no joke like it would be it would be like to depends on where what part of the country you're in but like it would be kind of 300 uh, sorry 20 or 30 grand of of the price of a house um but you know it's obviously uh, obviously there's a couple of I'll hedge I'm, I'm not going to put my neck on the line totally this is all the ESRI's model I'm yeah, just yeah. delivering the bad news but that's what it, that's what it would be but like as I said uh, if it's 20 or 30 grand that would be bad but you have to look at the rest of the world and in those places interest rates are going up far far more than they are in Ireland in the UK in the UK and in the US they're looking at sort of 7% interest rates where we might be looking at like mortgage interest rates of 3% 4% uh, so yeah it'll have it'll have that roughly that impact here not good but it'll probably be worse in other parts of the world yeah, well, depending on which side you're looking at, I think a lot of people listening to this would probably be very welcoming of a 14% drop in price. And I, I think my what I always say is like the value of your house or the house price only really matters on two days and that's the day you buy it and the day you sell it so yeah. um for most people if they're looking at it as a home rather than investments and they plan on staying in it you know for a long time well then a drop by 14 percent next year won't really mean anything to them mm. after 10 15 years because yeah. i mean historically house prices always go up and i think i know from in like a from historically a normal functioning housing market usually for every one percent of an interest rate rise house prices tend to fall by 10 percent. but i think what leaves ireland as a bit of an outlier is the fact that kind of since 2017 there have only been in and around six to six and a half thousand new build homes available for uri to buy on the open market everything else is kind of you know the state are buying up a lot or building a lot there's just not a whole lot of supply there for people to actually buy and that would be kind of my yeah. worry as to where how do we see prices come down because there's there's just so little to buy and then even that so that's on the new home side that's such a small amount available but then if you're looking at say existing stock but even there you're competing against councils a lot now um more so than even investment funds or 
anything like that. It's mostly the council buying up a lot of these homes and and that's taken away from existing stocks. So I just, yeah, I, I and I yeah. saw that ES, ESRI thing as well. So it's just, it'd be interesting, I guess, to see where it goes. But like, what would your, what would you say about that kind of, that issue with supply? Well, uh, just, just firstly though, like in, interest rates are annoying because when interest rates go up, they don't really, ben- it doesn't really benefit anybody. Like even though, so they, they, the, the, that model is forecasting that higher interest rates would drive prices down by 7%. And you might say that's good for people who are buying a house, but it's not really because like the way it's making, it's driving house prices down is by kind of taking money out of buyers' pockets, you know, yeah. by reducing their firepower for buying. So it's it's like, the it's kind of a wash, like where it's the houses, house prices being 7% overvalued and the prospect of them falling back a bit, that would be good for, that would be good for buyers. Um, In terms of supply, yeah, I mean, like that's that's the big thing. Like um, my, my, my big theory of housing is like, okay, in every country, housing is very complex, a very complex market because in every country, housing is quite regulated. The government's very active. It builds bits and pieces. And so it's different in every place and it's complex in every, in every different place. And so when you're looking around the world to see like what works and what doesn't, I think there is a natural tendency to look at the specific policies that they have in these places. And you say, you know, you go to France or you go to, you go to um, Austria or wherever you, wherever Singapore, whatever it is your favorite. And you can find like, oh yeah, they have a system where, you know, 30, the government funds the home, 30% of the equity of a home, they borrow the rest and there's a trust and then they limit the rent, at, the cap to rent at a certain level. And you get really deep into the weeds, you know, and, he, and as I said, every country is different. And I think that's sort of missing the wood from the trees uh, where the, the overarching thing that works in all these different systems that are that can be very very differently set up is the ones that manage to deliver tons of homes are mm. fine and so and so like it can be a system places that can be very very different like you know somewhere like texas houston texas total free market air place where they have very little zoning and it's kind of a free-for-all uh or helsinki or or japan or vienna all these very very different places very different models um they're places where their housing system works quite well and what the way that they all achieve it is just by supply by like figuring out how to build tons of homes and whether the, gov- the government does it in, in Vienna and the private sector does it in, in Houston but what they have in common is loads and loads of homes and once you've got that the rest is kind of detail you know so that's, yeah. that's basically where I come from it's just like what we can do to make more, to build more homes whether it's, whether it's uh, private builders or the state just getting more and more homes built Yeah and I've spent a good bit of time in Vienna because my in-laws lived there for a few years and a massive percentage of people there are in that, that, that Vienna model that, that kind of cost rental housing scheme that they have over there I think I can't remember the figures off the top of my head but it was a huge huge percentage of people and it's not just you know it's 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 people that like teachers it's doctors it's whoever you know and that's kind of like mm. uh, it seems like a like a pretty good model I think another thing that I'm hearing a lot as well at the moment is going back to interest rates uh, and as you said when interest rates go up people's repayment capacity goes down so they're not able to get a mortgage for as much which in turn kind of helps bring down house prices when demand is kind of stunted a little bit but that means that people maybe like so let's say i'm on a fixed rate for four years at 2.1 so my mortgage is, is 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 very affordable for us especially compared to what we'd be paying for rent around here it's probably we'd probably be paying well over double what we're paying on our mortgage to rent the same home around here if you 
could find one. Um, but what I suppose when the interest rates go up, what will happen is people will be paying a much higher mortgage, even though they've borrowed less than I have. So a, a monthly repayment. So we, one thing I'm hearing a lot now is about this kind of increase for first time buyers uh, this January, where they can borrow up to four times their income. Um, and I guess my my thoughts on that is, well, it's 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 only first time buyers, so it's not everyone. And then it's also, hmm. it's it's that's the max they can borrow without getting an exception but that doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to qualify for four times because again it'll come yeah. down to your own individual circumstances your repayment capacity yeah. and all that um so i don't think that's going to have as much of an impact as people think it will in terms of inflating mm. house prices but um is there, well kind of like what are your what are your thoughts on that kind of the yeah the new- it's it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one like that the idea of Allowing allowing borrowers to borrow more, and so firstly, the central bank has has been hostile to this for their own reasons because they are worried about financial stability and they don't want the banks to go bust again. Fair enough. So that's their motivation. And when there's whenever there's been talk about loosening those rules and allowing people to borrow more, like the first objection is always like, oh, it'll just mean higher house prices. Like that th- that won't result in more homes. It'll just increase house prices. Yeah, and that that's not exactly true. Like it's when you it it's it's partially true. If you allow people to borrow more money, yes, it does drive up house prices but it also results in more homes being built it's kind of a mixer of both so you kind of if, if you you know if you compare like our current housing crisis to the 2006 housing crisis if you want to call it that 2006 house prices were very high and unaffor- and expensive and unaffordable but what was different back then was that credit was really loose like anybody could get a mortgage so it was sort of a different type of problem you know there was like there wasn't exactly a housing shortage it was just that the prices were super super high and way way more was getting built mm. uh so i that, that's why i think it's so it, there, there is a balance to be had of course you can't just keep turning the taps up allow people to borrow more and more and more and more at some point it just turns in all, it just turns into totally prices and you're not helping anybody but I do think that where we had been was maybe overly restrictive it was more much more restrictive than the typical European countries uh, so I think allowing people to borrow a bit more maybe yes have a bigger mortgage but like you'd rather have a, a slightly bigger mortgage on a house that you have than not have any house at all and I think that's probably a better balance to, to strike yeah I think it would probably be better if there were more rentals but the fact that there are no rentals like well, if people are able to borrow more yeah their mortgage would be bigger but like say we got an exception to buy ours so we borrowed four and a half times our income and even at that like our monthlies are are still very affordable for us uh just because we had no we had no other outgoings like we've no well we have a little small car loan but we've no kind of you know we didn't have childcare fees at the time we will do in september but um i guess when there is an adding fuel to demand when there's nothing really being built um i think that's people's worry with with adding the borrowing but then the other side of it is as you said we are more restrictive than other countries have been in terms of our central bank and their their lending limits but my argument would be that has saved us because our house prices actually haven't gone up as much as a lot of other cities and a lot of other countries and i think that is down to the fact that we've kind of been saved from ourselves a little bit like we weren't in 2007 2008 when people were going to the pub and then leaving the pub after having buying a buying a house as well as a pint yeah. uh so yeah, yeah, uh, that, yeah, yeah. that would be my argument that you know we haven't got our house prices although they have gone up but if you look at other cities or other countries like say in canada or whatever and they've 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 tried to tackle it since in australia mm. ours haven't gone up as much because people haven't been able to borrow as much yeah look it's it's a, it's a subtle issue like 
Um, obviously, at one extreme, you've got Ireland back in the day, or maybe Austria, or maybe Canada today, mm. where it's it's just all, or yeah, it's just where the credit has gone into prices without stimulating demand or supply much. Um, yeah, and and then there's the financial stability side of it. Yeah, it, it's complex, but I mean, I think it's it's you could. I'm sure the central bank could make, could make a very strong argument for keeping it the way they did. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, it comes. It, it, the conversation keeps coming back to rentals in the background. You know, it's mm. like what your rent would be, what can you save, yeah. what you what would you be spending otherwise. And I think that's the other big mistake that we make in Ireland. You know, like rent. First time buyers have a, have a place in the national in everyone's heart. Maybe going back to what you said before about our, our, our history yeah and home ownership and it's the policy of of most of the major parties and well so they say <laughs> what, what, yes well they do i mean they, but they do but like they, what what it what it means is that renters get screwed essentially you know like it's a, a policy that anything if, if, if that renters come second any kind of new supply must be for for buyers and you know if an, if, a, if an institutional investor wanted to build 500 apartments they are like that would help renters it would lower rents but the argument is like oh it's unaffordable or that they should be for buyers you know if if, if an investor is applying to build 500 apartments somewhere invariably the objection is well they shouldn't be for renters they should be for buyers and like that's just taken as a fact you know taken as a given and it's not helpful i think i think from what i see on my page very often uh there's a massive phobia about buying apartments in ireland for whatever reason um there's a fear of dodgy management fees there's a fear of uh the the, the build quality of the apartments which i mean uh, we're, we're seeing in the news at the moment with the the 100 redress for for the celtic tiger uh builds and the state that the apartments were built but um i think obviously now with more regulation and stuff i just it's just something i've noticed on my page is that people are just really afraid of buying apartments because because they generally have historically yeah. kind of a lot of issues um yeah and then we kind of i don't know maybe we're all brought up with this kind of idea of a house your your three beds med like whether it, that's in the middle of dublin city or whether that's uh in rural ireland like um that's just kind of where our heads yeah. seem tend to go and that's where what has driven a lot of policy over in the past but I'm looking yeah. around me here out my window and I see nothing but cranes because I'm in I'm in Dublin 8 and there's a lot being built. But as you said, there, there's nothing being built for people to buy. And the apartment thing, the developers will say that it's not viable for them to build, to buy, uh, because people won't won't spend nearly half a million on a two-bed well, apartment. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it costs, um, it costs, is it very, very slightly more or less? I'm not sure. Got, it's, it's basically, it's almost the same price to buy an apartment as it is to buy a home. So to people, build. So people choose the home. To build, excuse me, yeah. to build, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Build. So people people choose to buy the build, the, the, the um, People choose to buy the homes and builders understand that and they don't build them. But I mean, like, you know, the, the, the reason that, the reason that these things are so lucrative, like stuff like, stuff like, um, co-living or studios or rentals all these sort of uh, these types of accommodation that are like 
quite unpopular among among the general public. Uh, the reason they're so lucrative is because there's a massive shortage of them relative to other types of homes. Like we have tons of three bed homes and things, you know, relatively in our in our housing stock. And like you're saying that you're looking out your window and all it's being built as apartments, but like there's still a massive. If you look at if you looked at the overall, you know, the stock of houses versus apartments in Dublin City or all around Ireland it's way out of line with the rest of Europe we're way way short of apartments so that's why they, that's why developers are building loads of them that's why they're the first ones they go to yeah. and like that's going to have to go on for like decades really to catch up to, to just to have enough apartments to fulfill and you know and in fact a lot of the stuff being built around me is actually the student accommodation and hotels there's actually not a whole lot of apartments it's mostly hotels student accommodation um, and this, even the student accommodation they're looking at I think I was looking at the website it was like 1800 euro a month for for a student a student apartment mm-hmm. uh, now there's there's very few Irish people in there uh, from listening to the accents around the place to a lot of Americans and stuff um, but I guess that's look that's where we're at um, I think people listening to this kind of kind of probably have a very fairly good idea as to why we are where we are in terms of house prices uh, and again it always kind of comes back to a lack of supply but I guess moving on from that and looking towards what you think we could do to try and make housing whether that's apartments or houses, but try to make homes more affordable for people. Um, mm. What would be your your ideas on that? Um, I I always go to planning. I'll just go to that first. I mean, like I was looking at uh, just to get to put some numbers on it. Uh, there's a crowd called Turner and Townsend, and what they do, their consultancy, they're international, and what they do is they come up with really detailed estimates of how much it costs to build things in different cities around the world. And I think it's it's to help inform developers. You know, if you're a big global developer and you have you're like oh look a hotel can yield this much per year how much it'll cost me to build one in Dublin would, it, would the numbers work out that's what they do so anyway they, they they have in Europe Dublin is one of the four cities that they go into detail on and take houses they do all they look at all different types of construction from schools to houses and residential and commercial and all the rest of it but um, like a row house a townhouse costs 32% more to build in Dublin than it does in like Paris Munich or Amsterdam or kind of an average of those of those cities so it's it's more expensive to build here so that's that's a huge problem and so then it's like why is that and the other thing that they do is they look at the inputs into those buildings it looks at you know 10 different types of labor costs 10 different types of you know uh, rebar and concrete cement blocks wood all the rest of it and when you look at when you look on that side dublin in its wages and also in its materials are the same as european countries and if you look at uh margins they're the same as in european countries and then preliminaries are the same as in european countries and as you go down the list all the inputs are roughly the same as other european countries but they still it still comes out as being 30 32 percent more expensive I'm, I'm going like, to guess that's only... down to uh, I'm going to guess it's down to land bright land value. Well, no, not really. No, this, oh. is, this is only looking at this is only looking at the, the land. Land is irrelevant. This is only looking at the Build. construction okay, costs yeah, that go yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah. Um. So so that's so one of the only, the only things that aren't captured really are like productivity, which is like our Irish builder is just bad at their job for some reason. Are they thirty? Are they thirty-two percent worse at building stuff than other countries? And the other one is planning. And like I'm thinking, planning has got to be a big big factor in it um there's like there's planning in our in our country it's very uncertain 
we basically have a system where the, the the planners have a massive amount of discretion that like the zone the, the 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 city plans themselves are quite flexible uh and then so you don't know exactly what's going to be allowed in a given area uh, on paper there's a very wide range of things that can be allowed but it's really really hard to know in advance what will be allowed so that you know it, re it results in like you can you get this like say this maybe not now but a year or two ago you would have had like a 50 percent uplift in the value of the land you bought once you had planning permission yeah, yeah. so you kind of you might spend a couple of years getting that permission you don't know what it, it's kind of a toss of a coin what's it going what way is it going to go once you get it your land is 50 percent more valuable mm. so yeah our, our, our planning system it's unusual by international standards the other the other country in the world that it most resembles is the uk's yeah the uk and ireland both have terrible housing outcomes we both deliver far fewer homes than are needed especially in the places where they're needed um we both have this really uncertain system um there are other countries and other models and other ways of doing planning that are perfectly incompatible with what we want from our system where they you know they listen to the public they are uh, planned in a lot sensible logical way uh and they result crucially in affordable homes and i think that's what we need to be looking to that would definitely be my list of what we're looking at so that's top of your list and even though there is planning approved for what is it forty thousand homes or something that hasn't been commenced um i guess a lot of that comes down to like what you're saying there does tend to be a lot of speculation on it that people uh, a company or a person might buy a site get planning and hold on to it then and try and sell it like there's one across the road from me on cork street that's uh, is up for sale now it's been derelict for decades and it's up for sale now with planning for it was the last one i think to get the planner permission for co-living that kind of thing um and then also just the cost i think is is delaying a lot of developers from actually commencing those forty thousand homes um yes so, so that would be top of your I list think, i think like that 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 argument um gets it's it's a lot it's kind of it makes sense uh at first but it really falls apart when you look think about it for a while so like so they so there's like 80 or ninety thousand unused planning permissions in ireland so the argument is put forward that like that shows the planning can't be the bottleneck because you've got loads of unused planning permissions but if you think about it right firstly that there, there has to be more permissions than there are actual uh, than there are developed homes because the, because you can't build without permission. So it has to be it's going to have to be a positive number. It'll have to be some number. So then it's going to be have to be greater than one. So what what's it going to be? And if you if you take those eighty thousand, like maybe so, let's say some of them are just pure speculation. Some of them are um, with planning with the planning rules have been changing reasonably often year to year. Maybe people are reapplying and getting new permission. Some of them they'll be on site and they'll be working away. Some of them. There'll be the site would be encumbered for some reason. Whatever that that there's that you can you can slice up that eighty thousand however you want mm. in that among those. But what what that what you're not seeing then is like how many homes would have permission if the system was was looser. You know if they think of like say you know Johnny Ronan applied to build a really, really tall residential tower in Docklands and he got shot down because it, it, the, the, the city the city planners didn't approve of it. Like if there if city planners were more liberal, you would have far more applications than than we see at the moment. There's this huge unseen sort of quantity of schemes that would be viable and would be good. But they are from even applying. If you know, you know, you know this eighty thousand doesn't capture any of those, and then the eighty thousand number itself is implausible for me or contestable. Okay, what what would be what would be next on your list then of things that the government could do to try and make homes more affordable? Um, so I, I just I'll stick with I'll stick with the planning because just to go into a bit more detail on it, like the big problem is that people people don't like kind of don't like development near their homes. They don't like the wrong kind of development near their home and they kind of they have 
have a say, you know, like you can't just you can't just run roughshod over them. So it's like, how do we how do we thread the needle of building homes so that the people who don't have homes can have somewhere to live, but also not pissing off or annoying the existing homeowners too much? And there's an idea called street votes, which I think is a good way of threading that needle. And the idea is your little local area, just your street on its own, can come up with a plan for what's allowed on that street. And you could say, you know, if, if it's a if it's a street of two bed semi D's, you could say, okay, we will allow. Um, it it can be a three bed terrace. You can put an extra story on your house, or you can not maybe knock it and build a three bed townhouse on the site. And something that's sort of not too objectionable that the, that the street aren't going are going to dislike it. And then you put that to a vote on the street. And if the street likes it, let's say if sixty percent of people or something like that go for it, then that becomes the new planning the planning rule in the street. And the reason that people might think about actually saying yes to that is because if it gets passed, they have the right to develop their home at that in, in that way. So if, if you're thinking about it, if you're like living in Bird Avenue and Klonsky and you've got a you know a, a third of an acre and there's a so semi decenting on it and if but if you are allowed to build um you know a three bed terrace or something on it the, the the land and the home would be way way more valuable so by saying yes to greater density you would get some get some of the benefit of that so it just it's sort of it's a way of giving locals the benefit of extra development in their area so that it's sort of development becomes kind of a win-win locals get something from it and the people who want who want homes get homes that's what i'd be looking at okay um and would there be anything else you would look at what about say the state becoming the developer which is something i think would be good so cutting out the developer say and i know they've done it down in in cork uh recently that that was kind of in the news um and it's something that we have done well in the past uh, but we haven't done for a few decades really um which I think would be a good idea. But, like say on public, on state-owned land and they just become, they hire out the builder, they hire the, the contractors. But then I guess the argument is they can't build a hospital without going <laughs> 3 billion or whatever over over the cost. So that um, would be the worry for people, I think. Well, we have, I mean, we, we have we have our AHBs and, yeah. they're, and they're like, they're flat to the matter. I think like if we had an extra two or three AHBs, I don't think we'd have two or three times more houses. I, I don't think that's where the bottleneck is at the moment. And like just in, in the, like I, it's, it's not my, I'm not an expert on this and if I'm not an expert on like I've listened to stories about the, how Singapore and, and, and how Vienna did it mm. um, look if if whatever works works if there are if there is ways of ramping up our government the government end of the market uh, if there's things that we're not trying I'm all for trying them, but I just think that needs to be you need to lift the blockages across the system, make it easier for both the government to do its work, the AHBs to do their work, and private developers to do their work. And I think if you did that, you'd be surprised at what the government could achieve under our current system, what the what the um what the private developers could do. Um so yeah, and I mean what else would I say about about that? Um I mean another one is just you, you talked about council sitting on land uh, mm. that's not being developed I uh, an obvious obvious solution is to have a land tax and we've kind of got a Maria version of it coming through like a zoned land tax and, yeah but I mean if you, if you just very simply had a tax on land boom or maybe maybe have maybe have an agriculture, but like a very simple anybody. I'm just gonna cut off you there, Sean, because uh, your your audio is gone. Uh, you sound like a robot. <laughs> but I think what oh, you're right. getting, hang on a second. What, what you're getting at is will, will I try that? Will I? That's okay. Yeah, I can 
hear you now. Would you but, try, would I try it again? You no, you're okay. Yeah. So you're talking about a site value tax, um, basically, and maybe upping, say, the vacant home tax that's coming in, and maybe change that to a vacant site tax or an unused site tax. Yeah, you, yeah. So they, they they have the the zone land tax, the the, the the vacant site tax, but like those are those, those they don't really attack the problem as as the way it should be attacked. I don't think they yeah. they miss on like derelict properties. They they miss all of the like wasted land that we have. Like the state, let's say you're talking about um councils and state bodies sitting on land like they should yeah. be liable for they should be paying tax to uh people with large gardens that they don't need like any like all the ways that we're wasteful in this country about land a tax on land would make people rethink it and make people think more carefully about are they make are they, is it being pushed put to the highest and best possible use now the problem with that with, with the land tax is it's uh the politics are terrible yeah the, the right the right wing parties won't do it because they're the parties of homeowners even our our left-wing parties even Sinn Féin won't do it because they know the politics are bad so it's sort of one of these ones that economists like to trot out but like it doesn't really happen very much very often in real life because they're so unpopular yeah that makes sense and I'd agree with you on that one um, okay well look we're running out of time and I know you've young children you need to get back to it, as do I but uh, I really appreciate you coming on Sean and giving us your, your insights into the housing market and thanks so much brilliant thanks Karen. enjoyed it Hi, I am just going to pause the podcast for a second to talk to you about some sponsors of the Crazy House Prices podcast. This episode is sponsored by Daft.ie. Daft is Ireland's number one property portal. Daft has the most properties available for sale and rent and is the preferred national property website amongst consumers in Ireland. So Daft.ie's core vision is to make buying, selling and renting property better for everyone in Ireland. So Daft's mission is to simplify each step of every property transaction in the Irish market to make buying, selling, and renting in Ireland simple. That's why Daft.ie build innovative tools like Offers by Daft, an online real-time offers platform that provides never-before-seen transparency for the Irish consumer when buying a home. Are you looking to buy? Maximize your chances of finding your dream home by visiting Daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. So a great chat with Sean there of The Currency, some really interesting points. I will link the ESRI report that he was speaking about in the, I think they're called the show notes, whatever, underneath uh, underneath here if you go to the description of the podcast. So I guess my own thoughts on it is these reports are all great and I'm going to talk about the myhome.ie report. Um, there's a lot of data, a lot of stats, um, but the main issue I see is the same issue that everybody talks about and that is a massive lack of supply there is just so few homes for people that we can buy um you or i let's say because we're competing against the state in a lot of cases we're competing against councils we're competing against investor funds and all of that so i just don't know if i see prices coming down by much and i know like if you're listening to this you're probably following my page that's that's what you're hoping for and even me as somebody who's just bought a house uh that's what i'm hoping for as well because it's just ridiculously unaffordable for people at the moment but i just can't see prices coming down because there's such a shortage of supply now some people are saying with the the newest changes to the mortgage lending rules if you're not sure about those basically in a nutshell if you're a first-time buyer you're able to now borrow up to four times your gross income and as a subsequent or a second time buyer uh, you can borrow the same it's three and a half times your income however the change is also for second time or subsequent time buyers is you no longer need a 20% deposit a 10% deposit is fine which I think is a great change however 
first time buyers being able to borrow up to four times their gross income. I just don't know if that's going to have a massive impact because of interest rates going up. It's going to be much more difficult to qualify for that extra half of your gross income. So I I don't know. I tend to leave this to the experts in terms of making um, proper predictions. But I know people ask me all the time for this even. So there's the caveat that I am not qualified in anything to do with economics or any of this stuff. But you're always asking for my opinion. And I'm going to give you that. I just don't think they're going to come down a lot. I also don't think they're going to go up a whole lot either. Um, Not more than inflation anyway. So I'm kind of predicting prices will stay in and around the same. Maybe drop a little bit in some places. Maybe go up a little bit in some places. But I'm hoping that we don't see massive increases that we have seen over the last couple of years. Um, And that would be my prediction. I know there's a worry. People always get worried about negative equity. And the way I think about that is as somebody who has just bought a home at peak prices and renovated a home at peak prices when it comes to renovations uh, like it makes no odds to me what this house is worth that I'm sitting in right now it I don't care it's my home it's not an investment so and I know people will always say well when you buy your home it is an investment but like I don't look at it like that I look at it as I have to live somewhere so the option is to either pay rent at the highest rents in in history or have your own home and pay off your own mortgage rather than someone else's so the whole idea of negative equity it doesn't doesn't matter to me to be honest because we plan on staying here for as long as we can hopefully forever if we don't grow out of the house but we shouldn't do so we should be okay so that's kind of my thoughts on it I think negative equity only really impacts you on the day you're selling so if you're looking to stay in a home long term well then I just think it's a no-brainer even if prices are higher or whatever it's a no-brainer to just buy your own home because the, the alternative is to rent at ridiculous prices so that would be my thoughts on it and if you're trying to predict house prices or play the market it's just an impossible game so just don't don't it doesn't matter what your neighbor paid if they paid more if they paid less if you can afford the home you love the home uh the repayments are comfortable for you well then in my opinion it's a no-brainer so let's talk about the myhome.ie report they regard it as a year of two halves for the property market as price inflation slows marginally rising interest rates affordability concerns and overall economic inflation are set to temper skyrocketing demand minor house price falls are a possibility but mortgage lending rules mean a tiger crash is unlikely what they mean by that is the central bank lending rules even though they're restricted to four times now for first time buyers i and i agree with this i think they have saved us over the last few years because we haven't been able to borrow five six seven times our income then also the cost of living concerns and rising interest rates are set to cool the skyrocketing demand for property leading to a year of two halves for the market as they say according to the latest quarterly house price report from my home now they look at asking prices and my issue with that is we really need to be looking at selling prices asking prices like i know they have to do valuations and stuff but some asking prices are ridiculously low and some asking prices are ridiculously high but they're saying they rose 10.9 percent annually but that's looking at last year i think the main thing we will see will be in the cso release but that won't be showing what's happening now probably won't come up until march or april next year because if you think about people that have been sale agreed over the last month or so it takes a few months three to six months really kind of for that sale to go through and then it takes another month or so or two months for the CSO to do those stats and and deliver that report so we're kind of looking at around of a six month delay in, in terms of what's happening now before we actually know and see that in statistics and in figures so all these CSO releases are kind of you're, you're looking at around at least anyway six months post when people are actually going to sale agreed so we won't know for a little while and that's where these kind of predictions are are, are can be a little 
little bit pointless, especially when we're talking about asking prices like they are in the My Home report. But they say anyway, the median asking price uh, for new houses was 320 grand and in Dublin at 403 grand and elsewhere at 270 grand. The number of properties for sale increased to 12,700 in June 2022 and that's up from 11,200 in March. So again, we're looking at kind of six months ago, but they did say the average time to sale agreed in quarter one was 2.6 months, while the average mortgage approval rose to 283,700. The average time to sale agreed, 2.6 months for a house going on the market to then go and sale agreed. That's not the time going from sale agreed to sold. So again, we don't really know exactly what the sold prices are yet, but it will be interesting, I think, and we should hopefully see those figures maybe towards March or April. But from what I'm seeing anyway on the page, people are very wary both estate agents and buyers and sellers and that's kind of where we're at at the moment everybody's a little bit on edge about house prices and worrying about where they're going so keep following the page check me out on instagram it's, uh, instagram uh, forward slash crazy if, look if you just type in crazy in your search bar on instagram i'm probably the first thing that comes up and i'm on twitter as well and as i said i will tag sean keys his twitter handle in the description and the esri report so thank you to sean again for coming on today and thank you to the sponsors of the podcast fpms.ie and daft.ie and also a massive thank you to my patrons the, this is the kind of this is the, the lovely thing about having sponsors and having patrons because it means I can continue to produce this content for free for everybody to enjoy and it's paid for by others so if you want to be one of those people that joins the Patreon to support the page and support the podcast you can jump over to patreon.com forward slash crazy house prices and over there I have a load of extra content there's about six 60 other podcasts. I do Q and A's. I put up houses there that I don't really want to advertise to 90,000 people on Instagram. Not advertise, I'm not getting paid to put them up, but uh, just houses I find that are good value. So you can check that out over on Patreon if you want. If not, don't worry about it because the companies that sponsor me and the other patrons pay for it so you can enjoy it for free. So thank you for listening and I hope you have a, a wonderful day. August Longa Fall.